Welcome to The Term, a podcast about the Supreme Court by Law 360. I'm Jimmy Hoover. I cover the court for Law 360 here in Washington. And joining me now from New York is Law 360 editor-at-large and co-host Natalie Rodriguez. How's it going, Natalie? Hey, Jimmy. Pretty okay. Uh, The justices, I feel, are keeping us on the edge of our seats a bit. Uh, There's a bunch of major opinions we are continuing to wait for, which we'll be getting into later. Uh, But first, to briefly just run down the developments of the week, the court did take up a new immigration case this week and delivered an important ruling on prison reform. The court handed down a unanimous decision on Monday in the case Lomax versus Ortiz Marquez. It didn't get a lot of attention when it came out because it involves kind of an obscure provision of the uh, Prison Litigation Reform Act of 1995 called the Three Strikes Rule. Uh, in kind of a word here, or in a sentence, I should say, it was a ruling that, you know, on the one hand could curb abusive or frivolous prisoner lawsuits, but on the other could potentially make it more difficult for prisoners to bring valid lawsuits. So so wait, let's take a, a step back. You know, what's the three strikes rule? The three strikes rule is part of this law, and it tells prisoners that they accrue a strike each time they have a federal lawsuit dismissed for being frivolous Uh, malicious or, you know, their lawsuit is dismissed for failing to state a claim. So after a prisoner gets three strikes, they can no longer obtain what's called informa pauperis status, which basically means that they don't have to pay, you know, the sometimes $400 filing fees, um, you know, to file a lawsuit, which is a big deal for prisoners who obviously don't have access to money in the same way that people outside of prisons do. Um, So this case involved that third Uh, grounds for a strike. That is when your lawsuit's dismissed for failing to state a claim. So in this case, Colorado prisoner Arthur Lomax argued that a dismissal for failure to state a claim under the statute only qualifies as a strike when it's done with prejudice. And because his prior dismissals were done without prejudice, that they should not have qualified as strikes and he should be able to get uh, inform a pauperous status and not have to pay uh, the fee. There was a circuit split on this issue. Um, basically, his argument was that, you know, if his lawsuit is dismissed without prejudice, you know, it's not the judge is not reaching the merits of the case. Um, and there's still a potentially valid claim there um, that he could bring in another lawsuit. Um, but unfortunately for him, the Supreme Court disagreed and unanimously soundly rejected his argument about the with or without prejudice distinction, uh, Justice Elena Kagan had wrote the opinion for the court, and she said it was a pretty easy case that begins and ends with the language of the statute. Uh, she said the statute basically leaves no room for any other interpretation, and that if they were to go with his view of things, they would essentially be injecting the words with prejudice into the provision of the statute to give it a more narrow reading than she felt was you know, uh, warranted there. But uh, the court did kind of carve out an important part in a footnote, and this will be the last thing I say about this case, but the footnote said that, you know, if it's a case where a prisoner files a lawsuit and it's, you know, just a matter of like a pleading deficiency or something like that, and a judge, as judges often do, they they dismiss the case and but they also give the prisoner leave to amend their filings to you know cure, as they call it, the the pleadings. So you can imagine as a prisoner who doesn't have a lawyer Um, you know, they run into these kinds of pleading deficiencies all the time. And the court, kind of importantly in its footnote, said that is not going to count as a strike against you. You're still going to be able to go back and uh, cure your complaint. 
So that was the only ruling to come down this week, which was frankly a bit of a letdown, I think, for for us and for a lot of Supreme Court watchers. Um, There are about 19 opinions still to come down, um, and the court usually wraps up by the end of June, um, you know, which I I have trouble seeing. But Jimmy, do do you think they can do it? I think they can do it. I mean, we were kind of in the same position last term where it was the beginning of June and we were thinking, are they going to push it into July? You know, and of course they managed, they added a couple days on to the end, but they were able to wrap up all their work by July. And I, if I know one thing about the justices of the Supreme Courts, they like their summer vacations. So I, <laughs> I could true. see them, I could see them totally pushing out these last uh, 20, I guess, you know, roughly 19 uh, opinions left in some pretty big cases. But you can imagine that behind those closed doors of the Supreme Court, or I guess in their you know, in their homes. I don't know how many are actually going into the court except for Roberts these days. But you can imagine that they are furiously clacking on their keyboards trying to push out some of these, you know, pretty high profile decisions, which I guess we'll just kind of refresh our listeners about. Yeah, so obviously we're not uh, getting any peeks behind those closed doors, but let's let's try to game out just how this might look over the next few weeks and talk through kind of some of the major opinions the court still has to deliver because there's there's a lot on the plate. There's Title Seven, there's DACA, there's Trump finances, there's an abortion case. You know, Jimmy, what do you think we might see first? Well, I changed the batteries on my crystal ball right here, so I believe. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we obviously, you touched on the big one, the the Title Seven case. That's the outstanding case from October. Um, I should say there are three cases. Two of them are consolidated. They involve the issue of whether or not Title Seven of the 1964 Civil Rights Act uh, prohibits uh, discrimination based on one's sexual orientation. There are two consolidated cases that involve that question. And then there's a third case that's kind of separate, and it's a slight variation on that question asking if Title VII of the 1964 Act prohibits discrimination based on one's gender identity. Um, I don't think we're going to see those until the end of the term. I mean, I, I obviously we're kind of at it now, but when I say the end of the term, I mean like the last final day or two. Um, I think that there are probably some high-profile negotiations going on behind the scenes. I mean, I think Justice Gorsuch is a potential swing vote in this case where you know he could give a textualist reading of the statute that you know kind of falls on the side of the employees in that case um i think more likely before that we'll see you know something like the uh, montana tax case that um the court argued i believe it was in january is that right natalie um where that's right Yeah. And so I think potentially you could see that one come out um, a little bit beforehand, no less, um, you know, uh, sweeping in its implications for, you know, just just the the law in a a lot of different states that have some of these statutes or amendments, I should say, that prohibit the spending of uh, tax funds on um, religious institutions. Uh, but yep. that's one that you could potentially see come out sooner than, you know, these final blockbusters. And of course, there's uh, so so we were kind of looking back at uh, the calendar. Right. So, you know, in, in terms of uh, just going back to October, we talked about this, the, the Title seven cases. Um, another one that's that's kind of been obviously waiting for for a long time is the DACA case. That was argued all the way back in November. 
Right. I mean, in this one is almost, I think you could arguably call it the the most high profile headline grabbing case of the term because it, the stakes are so high and so, you know, immediate for, you know, the roughly 700,000 recipients of the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. Um, it's, I think that but the only, the only reason I'm hesitate to say that it could be the last case is because it seems to me like, it seems to me more likely that there is a clear five justice majority to, you know, let the Trump administration essentially pull the rug out from under DACA. Um, and I think we could see like a straight split there that, you know, we see, we've seen in so many other cases, although, you know, it begs the question of why it's taken so long. I mean, you're right. It was argued back in November. What's going on here? Yeah. I'm guessing next week we'll probably see some of the ones from the May sitting, right? Maybe the booking.com, which was, you know, you don't think that's going to be the last, the big blockbuster. I I don't think that one's going to require, you know, a whole lot of, negotiating or back and forth basically uh you know uh i think there was oh and there's a couple from february also that that are still outstanding like the cow pasture case which is you know about the mineral leasing act i I don't think that one's gonna wait till the very last day (laughs) right um so let's talk about one that could come um at the you know one of those last uh days of the term and this is the big abortion case this term this yes. is june medical services versus ghee i believe it's with a hard g um and i could see this one taking a little bit longer because it involves this really tricky issue to some members of the court uh tricky issue surrounding precedent right so uh chief justice roberts was very guarded when this case was argued in early march um and he obviously had sided with the abortion provider when the case was up for a stay application uh, granting the abortions providers stay application to kind of prevent this louisiana hospital admitting privileges law from taking effect um and so the whole debate at oral arguments was whether or not the facts the actual facts on the ground were different in louisiana about the effect of this abortion law versus the fact facts on the ground in a virtually identical case out of Texas, um, you know, in 2016, I want to say it was. Yeah. 2016. So you could potentially see that one posing a little bit uh, more problems for Chief Justice Roberts than, say, I think the DACA case in which he seemed to be a little bit more sympathetic to the Trump administration. Also, I think high on our radar is the CFPB case, the CELA law uh, versus CFPB case. Uh, that one also has has been around um, for about as long as the June medical case. I think that one was argued just a day or so right before, um, you know, looking at, uh, you know, basically the constitutionality of, of, of the bureau. I'm really curious about that case because I think that you're going to see. I, OK, so my prediction is that they are going to strike down the structure of the bureau of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They're going to say. This is my prediction that they are going to say that, um, you know, the single director structure where, you know, the single director of the CFPB can only be removed by the president for cause is unconstitutional because of the, you know, you know, the structure of the Constitution that vests the executive in the presidency who can, you know, fire people at will. I think what's going to be interesting is to see what 
kind of the other justices say on the like the little side opinions. I don't think there's going to be a majority opinion that like strikes down all independent agencies, but I think you could see like Gorsuch um, or Thomas question this precedent of Humphrey's executor, which is the one that upheld, I think it was the Federal Trade Commission back in the 30s. So if they start attacking Humphrey's executor, you're going to start to see a lot more attacks on you know independent agencies going forward. Um, and there are a lot of independent agencies. I think one check I did, um, you know, I think there's something around like 60 or maybe more. You know, everything from the Federal Com- Communications Commission, Consumer Product, uh, something or other. It's the alphabet soup of the federal government, <laughs> basically. And and this one will be like kind of a the tip of the iceberg potentially of challenges to come towards some of these agencies. Okay, so independent agencies, abortion, Title Seven, DACA. Are we missing anything? I believe we're missing the big one, the Trump taxes case. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this one, this one's probably going to take a little bit later too, because it was just argued in the May teleconference uh, session. So they haven't really had enough, had a lot, I should say, of time to to dig into some of these arguments about whether. Um, President Trump's, you know, long-term accounting firm uh, and Deutsche Bank have to comply with these sub- subpoenas from both the Manhattan, Manhattan District Attorney's Office and um, the House, a, a variety of different House committees, demo- democratically run, that are investigating the president. I know you're right that this is probably going to all be able to come out by the end of June, but it just when you look at it. It just feels like such a massive undertaking to just deliver all these opinions in the next three weeks. Um, but uh, I hope you're right. I'm, I'm hoping that they get it all done and right. I mean, uh, that we I start seeing you some and big I, opinions next week. Exactly. You and I, are, I think, are ready to eventually close the book on this term and not have like all these big <laughs> questions like hanging over us for the summer. And I think the justices probably feel the same way. Even if they can't do their normal, you know, law lectures in ready meet or wherever, you know, in the world that they're going to go. Um, well, I was going to say earlier, you know, usually that is like, you know, a, a push for them to get done. But they don't really have that this year, technically. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's true. All their flights have been canceled. Um, there are summer plans. Uh, Ocean City, Maryland. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what, what it is that the <laughs> justices were planning to do. Um, but yeah, they could just say, you know what? We got a little bit more time. There's nothing to do except for stay home and write, uh, you know, uh, massively significant legal decisions. <laughs> I expect that they'll probably want to wrap things up as well. Well, Jimmy, this has been uh, great to chat and just kind of reorient ourselves uh as as we get ready for the for the next few weeks so thanks so much for for talking us through it yeah and of course we could totally be absolutely wrong and we could see all these decisions next week but such is the nature of you know guesswork about the supreme court nobody knows what goes on inside that building um or i guess i should say at home now uh but yeah it was great talking to you natalie thanks and thanks to our listeners for tuning in We'd like to thank our producers and editors, Stephen Trader and Danielle Smith, our executive producer, Amber McKinney. Music for the show comes from Slenderbeats. For more information about all the high court action, please go to law360.com slash the term. You can also find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Law 360 and the term. Thanks for listening.